Appreciate it. We're going to go to the book of James tonight. James chapter 1 in your Bible, if you will. Book of James chapter number 1. I'm thankful for the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Are we good? Help me out here, Skyler. Turn me up. Thank you, sir. James chapter 1, look at verse number 1. The Bible says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth it. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Um, I love the book of James. Five short chapters, just packed full of wisdom. I mean, just good direction in life. But with everything facing us right now in the world and everything that's going on, I think we can learn something out of this small portion of Scripture here, right here of James chapter 1. And I'm going to try to preach to you. I've titled the message tonight, Trusting God Through the Hard Times. We have to trust Him through the hard times, for sure. And I believe that we can see that. Let's pray. We'll get started. Father, one last time, we just ask for Your power and direction, guidance, fullness of the Spirit, and boldness of the Holy Ghost. We just need You to do what we can. Father, help us, we pray, please. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for standing for the reading of the Word of God. And please do be seated. I just wanted to take just a second to publicly thank Brother Dan for keeping track of me while I was on vacation and texting me day after day after day after day, even though he wasn't supposed to do that. I really appreciate that very much. Just kidding, Brother Dan. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I know that uh, Brother Andrew's already straightened all that up, but... I just couldn't wait. You just had to be sick on Sunday where I couldn't pick on you. I see how they are. Anyway, very glad you're back. Very, very glad you're feeling, feeling, feeling better. In your opinion, think, think with me. In your opinion, what would you say that God's ultimate goal is for your life as a child of His? Would it be good health? or maybe great wealth, or maybe just continual happiness. I just want continual happiness. God should give that to me. 
Is it comfort? Is it prominence? What? I mean, what would you say that God's ultimate goal for you as a child of God is? I believe the Apostle Paul speaks to this issue in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, where we see this, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they, lay, uh, they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Now notice that phrase there, what I just read, may grow up into him in all things. God's ultimate goal for anyone that's been born again by the Spirit of God is spiritual growth and maturity. The the book of James is all about spiritual maturity. It's about maturing. God saves us right where we are. Somebody say amen there. I'm very thankful that almost 38 years ago, He saved me as a hopeless junkie. Uh, But then He expects us to move on, to grow and to mature. I mean, we start as babes in Christ and we're children of God, absolutely. But we're ever learning, aren't we? Come on, we're ever growing. And it's all about maturing. And He wants that spiritual maturity for everybody. And His most effective tool for bringing about spiritual growth and spiritual maturity is adversity. I know we don't like that, but the Bible says the trying of your faith worketh patience. I mean, we go to a lot of different places and talk about that. But that being the case, the circumstances and events that we tend to view as setbacks really are oftentimes the very things that move us forward into periods of intense, really intense personal growth and spiritual advancement if we allow it. We've got to allow it. We've got to decide that we are going to trust God no matter what is going on in our life, that He is there, that He is working, and that He is trying to get us somewhere. God is trying to get us somewhere after we're saved by His grace. He is trying to mature us. He is trying to grow us. And if a person can come to the place where he or she not only understands that principle, but they're willing to accept it as a spiritual fact of life, their adversity is going to be a lot easier to bear as those tests come, as those spiritual trials come in their life. And it's within that context that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was able to say in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, and and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Now he was able to write that because he understood this. He understood that God's trying to get us somewhere even though we go through hard times. Come on, would anybody in here say the Apostle Paul lived a life of ease? Man, the Apostle Paul, he got saved, and after that it was just smooth sailing. Well, you've not read your Bible very much if you think like that, because I can't think of much uh, anybody else in the Bible that went through any more adversity than the Apostle Paul went through and still wrote the biggest part of the New Testament that we read today. And so he had this understanding that we can know that all things work together for good to them that love God. We know that. Now let me say this, Romans 8.28 is conditional. It is conditional. And it only applies to those individuals who love God. Somebody should have said amen right there. Because it's absolutely the truth. Come on, we believe the Bible the way it's written, right? We don't try to twist it. We don't try to make it say what we want it to say. We believe what the Bible has to say. And Romans 8.28 is conditional. If a person does not love God and is not interested in maturing and in growing their faith, all things do not necessarily work together for good in their life. 
No, 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 no. Because sometimes the good, listen to me, please. Sometimes the good that God is hoping to accomplish is the very thing that they have no interest in. Because they don't love God the way that they should. And for those who do love God and are interested in growing and maturing their faith, they need to understand the concept of what Paul calls good. Work together for good. For example, to our way of thinking, good would be when a man loses his job and gets a better job in its place. But however, in God's eyes, good may be when a man loses his job and then discovers the wonderful truth of what it means to live by faith and trust God on a daily basis. God knows what He's trying to do. For some, the good, Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, would be when a young man or a young woman loses the love of their life only to find someone better later on. But in God's way of thinking, the good in that situation may be when that young person discovers through that loss that God, God's will for them is to enter into full-time Christian service and that God can be the one that can take care of them. We have to trust God. We say we believe that He is. We say that we believe He is sovereign. We say that we believe He is all-powerful. We say that we believe He is our loving Heavenly Father. But do we trust Him? through all that we might face in our life. It's very important that we do. And the reason that most of us struggle with adversity is because we fail to see things from God's perspective. Another reason is because our priorities are usually not in line with God's priorities. And by the way, His priorities are much more important than our our priorities and always will be. God's priorities are spiritual growth and maturity. No, I'll go ahead and say it again. You ought to write it down. God's priorities are spiritual growth and maturity. Our priorities are usually things like health and wealth and prominence and comfort. And you can finish that list. There's a whole list that could be put there. Isn't that right? Truly. Yeah, popularity, whatever. And speaking of God's priority being our spiritual growth uh, uh, and maturity to the same degree that we make these things, our priority will... Uh, we will be able to cope with adversity successfully when we begin to see what God's trying to do in our life. We need to see things and we need to make His priorities our priorities. I've often said, if you've been around here at all, you've heard me say it, that it's okay to pray for our daily bread. It's okay to pray for our needs. God wants us to come to Him for those things. But if you really want to start seeing prayers answered besides those that He can't answer, Begin to pray for your spiritual life and your spiritual walk. Begin to ask God to do things in your heart that only He can do. Begin to ask God to help you to hate the sin that He hates. Begin to ask God to give you a burden for all those people out there that are lost and on their way to hell. Begin to ask God to do things in your life that only He can do because He is concerned about your spiritual growth. He's concerned about your spiritual maturity. And He is really trying to get us all somewhere. He's working on all of us, trying to get us to that place. In other words, men and women who are marginally interested in spiritual growth, they're going to have a difficult time dealing with the adverse situations that they're faced with in their life. Their tendency will be to blame God and become bitter. No, they want to blame God for things instead of trusting God for things. They have a tendency tendency to do that. They'll look at the difficulties in their life as something that God has done to them and not for them. 
But I'm telling you, our Heavenly Father doesn't work that way. No, no, He's a loving, gracious, wonderful, merciful, long-suffering Heavenly Father. And He does not look for ways to torture us. That's not our God. He's not that way. But people, no, no, people that are adverse to doing things the way that God would have them to do that, they'll begin to think that way. And they'll view the adversity as an interruption of their lives and not a part of God's divine plan for their lives, trying to get them someplace. So we have to be careful, don't we? Come on, to see things the way that God would have us to see things and to keep our eye upon Him. Because when we allow God to realign our priorities and make them more like His, adversity takes on a whole new meaning. It has it it seemed to be very different. We begin to see it as an integral part of what God is doing in our lives and we begin to understand that adversity is, is something and sometimes a, a means of greater joy and a means of greater peace. No, I'll say it again. Adversity can be a means of greater joy and greater peace. Well, that don't make no sense. A lot of things that God does doesn't make sense to us and to this world. <clears throat> But we get to thinking, no, 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 when we get to seeing it like that, I mean, we don't panic and assume that somehow God's forgotten us. Because God doesn't forget us. I said, He knows right where we are. And He knows exactly what we need. No, no, instead we will rejoice knowing that God is in the process of bringing about another good in our life. He's trying to bring, come on, all things work together for good. And we have to trust Him. Even through the hard times. Spiritual men and women come through adversity excited about what God has taught them. Whereas carnal men and women emerge bitter and angry for what God has put them through. Why does God put me through this? Well, if we had opened our eyes and seek Him more and get in His Word, He'll show us why we're going through these things. I've said it, I've said it a thousand times. Probably, no, no, when hard times come, we don't run away from God, we run to God. Because He is the one with the answers. And He is the one that's trying to get us to the place we need to be. Carnal people are usually quick to point out that all things do not work for good, but they conveniently leave out the part about loving God. Because all things do work together for good to those that love God. I've said all that to say this. It is possible for us to advance through adversity. It's very possible. We don't have to quit. We don't have to quit going forward. It's very possible for us to make it, to continue to go and make it through adversity. And with God's help, um, with God's help, we can struggle without stopping. But Pastor, sometimes I just struggle. You too? That's a real part, isn't it, of trusting God? And continuing on to go the way that He would have us to go when we don't fully understand why things are going the way that they're going. It's a big part. Sure. Sure. Adversity does not have to set us back. It can propel us forward into our walk with the Lord. It can help us to be closer to Him and better for Him. James points this out as what, and probably is what the most familiar passage in all the Bible concerning adversity I mean, I love that. When I, I mean, I, I've preached in James a, lo a lot, and I love this part, but there's several things here we need to take note of. <clears throat> I think one of the key things here is what our attitude is to be in adversity. Look at verse 2 again. 
He wrote, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, different types of temptations, troubles, trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So here's what James says that we are to do. We're to rejoice. Well, I can tell everybody really just grabbed right up on that, didn't they? <laughs> and somebody, somebody might even be thinking, oh, good grief, man, who's this James guy? I mean, how in the world, how callous can this James guy be? I mean, doesn't he know what I go through? And doesn't he know when I'm facing a crisis that the last thing I want to do is rejoice? But there's no doubt that James understood this. But he also understood that our outlook determines our outcome. Oh, I hope you grab that. He also understood that our outlook determines our outcome. Because we've got our eyes on God. We don't have our eyes on the problem. We have our eyes on God. Because God's the one that's going to see us through the problem. God is the one that's going to help us through the adversity. God is there for us no matter what might go on. And so we have our eyes on Him. And He also understood that our attitude, listen, that our attitude determines our actions. Our attitude about what we're facing will determine our actions. What we do. What we choose to do. Or what we don't do. Definitely so. Let's think about a couple of things. Negatively, we're not rejoicing in the reality of adversity. I mean, James is not telling us to rejoice because we're facing a crisis in our life. Well, you have this great, you have this great crisis in your life, so just rejoice over the crisis. No, there's nothing joyous. Listen to me. There's nothing joyous about adversity in and of itself. Not at all. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's unrealistic. Please stay with me. It's unrealistic to flash some kind of fake smile and force ourselves just to say, well, praise the Lord when the hard time comes. And that's not what James is wanting us to do. That's not what the Lord is wanting us to do. Positively, we're rejoicing in the result of adversity when we have kept our eyes on God. James just assumes James just assumes in this passage that God's people are going to command uh, I'm sorry are going to be committed to spiritual growth and then when they realize that their trials are going to lead them to that end they will rejoice no because they've kept their eyes on God they know that God's trying to get them somewhere so they continue to keep their eyes on God and they know that if they will handle things the way that God would have them to handle things, that this is going to work out for good. And so they rejoice in that fact. I have a heavenly Father. He knows what I'm going through. He knows what He's trying to do in my life. He knows where He's trying to get me. And if I keep my eyes upon Him, I know that this is going to work out for good. Somebody say amen. Come on. And so in that I can rejoice because I know that God is never out of control. He's always in control. So here's how James says this works. First of all, when our faith is tried, the end result is patience. Or as the Greek words suggest, uh, 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 steadfastness, perseverance, endurance. No, no, we don't give up. 
We don't quit. No, no, no. We keep on going. We keep our eyes on God. We don't get disgusted. I mean, we are, we are trusting God to do what only God can do. The trials we face as believers are designed to make us stronger, not weaker. It's a spiritual exercise. To say that we're becoming stronger in our faith would be to say that we're growing in our faith or that we're maturing in our faith. And that's what God is trying to do in our life. And that's what James meant when he said that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. However, James is also issuing a warning of sorts in verse number 4, telling us that if we're not careful, we could interrupt and prematurely end the growing process. And that's why he warns us to let patience have her perfect work. Come on, he's warning us. God is warning us, let patience have her perfect work. When we resist difficulty, we're keeping God from doing the good thing that he desires to do in our life. Oh, no, 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 we're resisting what God's trying to do. It's important, isn't it, that we put ourselves in God's hands and that we trust Him no matter what we might be facing and, and that we don't go looking for a different way out that He would have us to go. I'm telling you, many otherwise good godly men and women have put themselves on the shelf spiritually and have been unable to advance in their Christian life because they have refused to change their perspective on adversity. And as long as they're on a mountaintop experience, man, everything is great. But as soon as they start down in that valley, oh man, where'd God go? He's forsaken me. I don't know if I'm going to go through. I don't care about this Christian life. I'm telling you, God, He don't care. He don't love me. He don't care, whatever the case may be. No, 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 and they miss out on what God's trying to do. The very thing that God brought into their lives to help them grow has put them in a spiritual coma. Well, how come, preacher? Because they refuse to let patience have her perfect work. I'm here to tell you tonight, until a person commits himself or herself to the process of growth and and maturity, they'll they'll never take James seriously in this. But but this part of Scripture is just much Scripture as John 3.16. Now now for uh, for those who are committed to growing in their faith, but they're just having a difficult time reconciling, rejoicing, and suffering, James has something to say to them also in verses 5-8. through Look at verse number 5 there. It says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable, in all his ways. So we do have some assistance in adversity that God gives us. We're encouraged here to look to the Lord for wisdom. If any, if any of you lack wisdom, like we don't all lack wisdom, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. So here's what James says. Look, if you're having a difficult time putting all this together, ask God to help you. Okay, I've not lost you, have I? 
Well, I mean, preacher, I mean, you know, it says uh, if, 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 if any of you lack wisdom, uh, uh, let, 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 him, let, let him ask of God. Right. And you said, you know, if, if you need help, if, if you need help, you know, just ask God to help you. Right. And that's basically what it says. Come on. I, I love our King James Bible. I'll say it again. I love our King James Bible. And I believe it is the, I believe it is I believe it is is God's inspired word for the English speaking people. I absolutely believe that. I absolutely believe that. But you know, when we talk to God, we do not have to talk in Elizabethan English. I'm glad he understands Oklahoman. <laughs> he just wants us to talk to him. He just wants us to pour out our heart to him. He just wants us to trust Him enough that we would talk to Him. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of times that I just ask Lord for help. Lord, I need Your help. He knows what it's all about. Lord, I need Your help. And you know what? He's never let me down. There's never been a time that God's ever let me down. The only time that I've not gotten the help that I need is when I've not asked Him for it. He wants us to be dependent upon Him. He wants us to be dependent. Well, how come? Because He's God. And because he knows that times like that really will kind of crowd us closer to him if we allow it to do it. Come on, we tend to talk to him more. I mean, we should anyway. We tend to talk to him more when there are adversities, don't we? Come on, when the trials come. But we should be willing just to talk to him a lot all the time. And any time that we need something, just to go to Him and, and just ask God to help us. Well, preacher, okay, let me wait. When came, you know, why would we want to ask for wisdom and, and not strength or grace or, or even deliverance from, from that problem? Well, the answer is simply this. Wisdom is all about getting the big pictures. Come on, stay with me on this. Wisdom's all about getting the big picture. God knows what's going on in our life. And he wants to he wants us to understand he wants us to understand that he is there for us and he's trying to get us somewhere. So he wants us to learn from the adversity we go through. So he wants us to see the big picture. Come on and he'll give us wisdom and 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 only his wisdom is good enough for that. Not earthly wisdom that it talks about later on in in the book of James. When we ask God for wisdom, it's, it, 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 it's, uh, it's, uh, what we're doing is asking Him to help us to see things from His perspective. From, from His perspective, here's what we're going to see. We will see ourselves growing in our faith because of the adversity we're facing. Because that's what He's trying to do. Come on, He doesn't allow things to happen in our life to kick us down. He doesn't allow things to happen in our life to ruin us. He allows things to happen in our life to grow us, to mature us, to strengthen us, to help us. 
And it will absolutely do that if we keep our eyes on Him. And we trust Him and His Word and what He's trying to do in our life. When we gain God's perspective on adversity, we will see that in His economy, in God's economy, suffering is a small price to pay for growth. We have to be willing to ask ourselves, am I willing to accept the fact that God is so intent on my being a mature Christian that He is willing to allow me to suffer some in order to get me there? I can't speak for anybody else in this place, but Bill Marshall is a hardhead. Don't say anything, honey. And there's plenty of things in my Christian life that God has had to teach me the hard way. And let me just say publicly, and to our great God, thank you, Lord. Because without that, I have no idea where I would be in my life today. I think I can safely say, Brother Greer, that I wouldn't be standing here. And, and this brings up the issue of faith, which, which in turn leads to the fact that, that we're not only to look to the Lord for wisdom, but we're also to look to the Lord... No, no, get this. We're to look to the Lord without wavering. We read it right there. Look to the Lord without wavering. James compares a faithless Christian to the waves of the sea. What do you mean, preacher? Well, they're up one minute, down the next. And one day they're leaning this way, and the next day they're leaning that way. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians 4. He said that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. The person who believes one minute that God is good and the next is doubting His goodness is immature in the Lord. They're wavering in their faith. God is always good. And God is always right. The person that's in love with the Lord one day and angry at Him the next day is immature. We cannot afford to be wishy-washy in our faith and expect to gain God's perspective when it comes to suffering, going through hard times. Either we love God and He's working all things for our good, or we don't and He's not. I'll say that again. Either we love God and He's working all things for our good, because the Bible says so, or we don't love God the way that we should and He's not working all things for our good. But there's great things to be gained after adversity. Look at verse number 12. Come on, we're moving along great. Verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, trials, troubles, tribulation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. So those who are steadfast and those who persevere through adversities of this life will be awarded 
in a twofold manner. They're going to be awarded presently in this life. In that verse, the word blessed there carries with it the connotation of being supremely blessed. And by extension, it speaks of being fortunate or it speaks of being well off. And we're not talking here about, please listen to this, we're not talking here about being materially well off. That's not what James is promising here. We're talking about being better off spiritually. Come on, this is about being spiritually mature. This is about being who God wants you to be. The truth is, those who are willing to accept the biblical fact that God is up to something good in our lives when we face adversity, I'm telling you, we're going to be miles ahead of those who don't when it comes to spiritual growth. I want to be close to God. I want to be able to trust Him no matter what comes in my life. But we have to grow to that point, don't we? And it takes handling things the way that God says that we're supposed to handle things. But also gloriously in the life to come. God puts such a premium on spiritual growth and spiritual maturity that He's going to award those who are willing to pay the price to experience it. And, and, and who are those that are willing to pay the price? Well, those who love Him. Come on, I think that can be proven by what we've looked at tonight. Those who love Him. No matter what might be going on in their hearts, in their lives, in their, in their whatever. And I think it does us good to ask ourselves, do, do we love Him? No, I mean really love Him? No, I mean really love Him. Do you love Him enough to... No, no, look up here. Do you love Him enough to trust Him? With your whole life? Do you love Him enough to believe that He is too wise to be mistaken? God does not make mistakes. Do you love Him enough to believe that He's too good to be unkind? Our God is not unkind to His children. Do you love Him enough that when you don't understand and when you can't see His plan and and when you can't trace His hand, you'll go ahead and trust His heart? Because you know that He is trying to get you somewhere. The question is not, does God love us? That's not the question whatsoever. No, 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 no. He proved that over 2,000 years ago when He sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross for our sin. He proved that He loved us. The question is not if, if, if God loves us. Paul said it like this in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. But God commendeth or proved His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. So the cross of Calvary put to rest any doubt as to God's love for us. God loves us supremely, more than we can even understand. God loves us. Don't let the devil lie to you. I'm telling you, God loves us. He loves us. 
I read this. God has not promised skies that will always be blue or a flower-strewn pathway all of our life through. God has not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But God has promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. We just need God to help us to surrender ourselves to the fact that He loves us. And, and, and that He wants the best for us. And that sometimes, in order to bring about what's best in our life and spiritual maturity and growth, He must take us through some fires of adversity. And when those times come, we're either going to keep looking to Him and trusting Him and keep doing exactly what He would have us to do, or we'll turn tail and run and we'll miss out on all the good that God is really trying to do in our hearts and our lives. And I've seen that way too much in my almost 30 years of ministry now, just way too much. I'm telling you. God is faithful. And He just desires that we be faithful to Him that we would be faithful to Him. Let's all stand for a moment. We'll stand. Our heads bowed. Our eyes are closed. Piano's going to play here in a moment, but the altar's already open. God spoke to your heart tonight. You have a need in your life to just draw closer to God, to trust Him more. I don't know what folks are going through. I don't know everything that people are going through, but I know that we can trust Him. And maybe you just need to come and ask God to help you. To help you. Lord, I need your help. I, 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 I don't know exactly what you're doing, but I want to trust you no matter what might be going on in my heart, no matter what might be going on in my life. I just want to trust you. Maybe you just need to come and talk to him. Just talk to him for a minute.